2: Hello, this is the Red Box Podcast. I'm Matt Chordy bringing you politics without the boring bits. You can listen live Monday to Friday, 10 till 1, on Times Radio. Just ask your smart speaker to play Times Radio, listen on your DAB radio, or download the Times Radio app. Coming up on today's episode, it's a Wednesday, so it must be a PMQ's unpacked day. It's the last one of the year. Rishi Sunak and Kiss time and get to bring in their toys, wear their own clothes, and just have a muck about, as it's the last one of the year. Ayesha Hazarika helps Tim Shipman and I to wheel the big telly in so we can watch it together. Pausing the action from the House of Commons to analyse the key exchanges in real time. And Lara Spear rounds up the best of the rest. That's coming up in just a moment. But first, it's these two. The Columnists with Alibert, Alice Thompson and Robert Crampton on Times Radio. Are uh, they both here. Alice making it in the nick of time.
3: I got stuck on the chew with Mariella. Did you? Yeah. But she didn't realise I was going to be on air first.
2: <laughs> I didn't
3: think she could quite believe it when I said I was actually about to get on air.
2: Does she get through, does she just get let through the barriers? As I a think celebrity? so. She's so much more of a celebrity. Special, I think special she just, lift. Yeah, yeah.
3: Everything where I was having to queue. Well,
2: thank you for making it in. <laughs> Uh, Robert Crampton's here. Yeah, I'm always here. Showing yeah. off his biceps. We'll, we'll yeah. come to that. No, they're all covered up. But
3: he's not wearing a vest. No,
2: uh, I'm wearing a vest. It's are just you, it's well, can you strip
3: for us now?
4: No. It's just, no, it wouldn't work on the radio.
2: Well, it I would, because it would be good for the socials. No, I'm not going to <laughs> You could bang on the socials. No. Okay. It's the reason we all came in. No, it's not. So, <laughs> like <laughs> Mariella's coming early thing is, Robert, if we, were, if we were talking about a woman, this wouldn't be allowed, would it? No, You're not, not subject, in this day and no, 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 sure. age. It? Like if we started saying to Alice, "Come on, pop your top off," yeah, we'd be in all sorts of trouble. Well, yeah, I think yes, yeah, kind of different, isn't it? Well, yeah,
3: and I haven't got the biceps either. No, so we'll, it we'll work.
2: come to. Well, this is what we call trailing ahead. We'll just We'll come to uh, Robert's biceps in a moment. First, has Rishi Sunak pulled off uh, an incredible heist against his opponents? Is he a political genius, or is this just... Trouble delayed, Alice?
3: I think it's not even trouble delayed. I mean, if you look at his um, polling today, it is almost, well, it's it's worse than Boris Johnson and almost as bad as Liz Truss. So it hasn't worked at all. And I think just the word Rwanda now just sounds terrible. It's like everything that's wrong with this government. It's trying to solve something with one word. And it's, you know, the legality is incredibly tenuous and it's divided the Tory party again and showed us that they uh, really can't do anything at all anymore without having an argument.
4: What do you think, Robert? I think that reminded me of that great scene, one of the many great scenes in Yes, Prime Minister, where Sir Humphreys explains to Bernard the difference between diplomacy and politics. And he says, diplomacy is about surviving into the next century; politics is about surviving till Friday afternoon, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> or you could say till Christmas. Yeah. Which is uh, he's limping? Yeah, I mean, he's got it over the line. He hasn't got it over the line. He's got it. He's he's probably got it through. He's got through till Christmas, and then it all starts again in January. If the honestly, bill's not. Just in, don't bring on the, it back. It's only the first reading.
2: Mm. Just keep pushing it off, push it off, yeah. push it, put it off, put it until off. you get to the election. And yeah.
4: also, you worry what he's promised those guys uh, in order for them to abstain. Up, yeah, and then they complained against.
3: about the bacon and the sandwiches. I thought that was a bit low,
4: actually. Mm.
2: Did they?
3: Yeah, they said it was flaccid and it was undercooked.
2: Flaccid and undercut? Yeah, I thought Said Marc Francois. Exactly. Yeah. Takes on to know one. Can
3: I say, though, the ones I feel really, really <laughs> sorry for are the ones on the fact-finding mission to Caribbean.
4: I know. They oh, who, who, are they, who are they? What are they finding like out? The
2: International they Development were Committee, I think.
3: getting onto a plane on a fact-finding mission to the Caribbean and they got
2: yanked off to vote.
4: Oh no, that's harsh. Yeah, what were they finding out that it's warm and sunny in the Caribbean in just before in December. Christmas? <laughs> yeah,
2: just before Christmas, lovely time of the year. Lovely time of the year to go. I'm sure they'll get on, they'll um, get on the next flight. And, and poor, I, I hope they did anyway. Poor Graham Stewart sat through ten days of cop, <laughs> and just as it got to the good bit, he had to come home. Yeah, the climate change minister. Yeah, to show how green he is. Yeah. He? Yeah, it's all very tragic, but no, I don't think
4: he's shown a political genius. I think he's probably made some promises that he. Uh, didn't to have made and probably shouldn't keep. and But anyway, he's got through to Christmas and I kind of that's kind of what we're all doing at the moment, isn't it? Slog through to Christmas, see what happens in January.
2: You sort of wonder, like, if th- these people, the rebels, um, they're not, you know, if they put down their amendments, their amendments are not going to pass because there's no majority for them. Mm. So then what are they going to do? Vote down the bill so that there's... No chance of the ninety, you know, the the, the government's calculation that ninety nine point five percent of legal challenges will fail or something. Mm-hmm. So are they going to vote it down so that there's no toughening? Because if there's no Rwanda bill, there's even less chance of a plane taken off. I don't know what the the trump card the, is that these rebels I don't think they think
3: about it anymore I think the thing is they just really enjoy having a fight don't they, and they, they they're they sort of they're kind of high on their own importance yeah. and then they get, the they get on to news night they get on to radio programmes they don't, you know, we're all taking them seriously again and that's what they want because actually they're going to be irrelevant after the election if they don't get their act together no,
2: it's, it's, all this, it's right. like Brexit all over again no it isn't it isn't Brexit was like a huge thing we're going to decide the direction of the country
4: and it had been voted for and it had referendum. been voted for yeah. was you know, democracy was, vote, was it vote, yes they were trying
2: to uh, impose the will of the people on a parliament that didn't want to oh, I just think some, some, some sectors of the lobby and some sectors of the Tory party need to calm down and stop mm. putting Mark Francois Mark Francois yeah, he's well, the one he's a,
3: isn't
2: he? he's a political titan and
4: he uh, needs he needs to go to the
3: Caribbean really doesn't he yeah
4: I think, he'll, I think he'll probably
3: sort it all out you know what they could I've put got, them all a on a plane of... to the Caribbean couldn't they and then they could calm down in the Caribbean they could all get on in the sunshine and it would be cheaper than us having to sort out Rwanda
2: Perfect. Yeah, don't put anyone on a plane to Rwanda. Just mm. put Mark Francois on the plane to the Caribbean. Precisely. Yeah, it'd be that. That would be like when the sort of seventies sitcoms used to have a Christmas special. They went on holiday. <laughs> yeah, there's all the same characters.
4: Yeah,
3: yeah, round and round. You, didn't you,
2: there, yeah, yeah Marc but, Francois should, like striding around the pool, going morning! Yeah.
4: <laughs> <laughs> it. was used to Western Supermare or something, it, yeah, yeah. it wasn't. It wasn't the Caribbean.
2: There's a very good one. <sighs> of the the only Fools and Horses, where. They go on yeah. a holiday because and Rodney's supposed to be like a 14-year-old boy who's won a competition. Yeah. And so and he has this, to go yeah. to all like, the kids' clubs. And it's all the guys in the pub go on the to coach tour, don't they? Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah,
4: yeah. Nice. With hilarious consequences. Well that's all yeah. we need.
2: Let's put them all on a let's put them all on a bus to Western Supermare. Now, talking of uh, children <laughs> <laughs> and people not acting their age, I thought this was really interesting. Um, as a YouGov uh, survey, they've, they've basically spotted lots of people when they can't think of about anything else to write about in uh, newspapers and magazines. <laughs> perish, write, perish about, the uh, write about, write about. Oh, I don't feel like a grown up yeah. whether they're in their thirties or forties, yeah. whatever. Uh, so they've polled: When do you f- uh, do you feel like a grown up? And thirty-four uh, percent of eighteen to twenty-four year olds don't feel like a grown up. I think that's all right. You're sort of how many th- 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 uh, Yeah, a third. You know, you yeah, maybe just yeah, at university yeah. and living at home or whatever. You know, yeah, else. and the other ones are...
4: Kidding themselves.
2: Yeah, and then 25 to 49-year-olds, that's a big old chunk, 28% don't feel like grown-ups. Yeah. Fifty Among 50 to 64-year-olds, 15% don't feel like grown-ups. Mm. And amongst the over 65s, 6% don't right. feel like grown-ups. I guess it depends
4: on your definition
2: of... Your, your yeah,
4: what Im- is it? Your image of the word grown-up, yeah. doesn't it? Do that's you what... feel
2: like I am a grown... I, I do feel like... Do you feel like a grown-up?
4: Robert? Uh, like I say, it depends on your definition. Yeah. And uh, I, I grown up, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, in many ways I do. And I suppose that happened to me when you, when you have children because you're responsible for somebody else. Uh, so I was 32. Uh, prior to that, maybe, maybe not. Mm. In other respects, I don't feel that much different to how I felt when I was 35. Yeah, uh, But then I was also, I think I was fairly grown up in some ways when I was 14, Not emotionally, but in other ways I was. So, who knows? I mean, I suppose people are trying to define themselves against a negative image of a grown-up as being a sort of pipe and slippers... Uh,
2: and that you know, idea that yeah your,
4: your your parents are your yes. grown ups so yeah you're, or that you're some, some way clapped out and that's yeah. what people it's are also kind of who against. you're
3: with isn't it because I yeah. you know I feel like a grown up most of the time but if I'm with my siblings we all revert to being <laughs> <like, laughs> yeah okay. yeah that's a good point so there yeah. is a point when you're like yeah. you, you do change don't you I'm, I yeah. think that that's part of it and I, the ones yeah. I feel sorry for the ones who are sort of 25 to 35 who aren't feeling like a grown up yeah. and that's because they're at home still and you know yeah. doing their washing and yeah. the reason they're at home is because they can't afford a house or a flat or a
2: comment pieces come from is this idea. People thought that by eighteen or twenty-one or twenty-five or thirty or thirty-five they would be well. That's gone.
4: Yeah, that's gone out the window. I mean, I I think maybe historically that was the anomaly that you Mm. that you left home at eighteen and you didn't go back. Because previously people had grown up in and stayed near, you know, in or around their extended family, and that's kind of starting to happen again. And I think that's rather. I've written about this. I think that's I like it.
2: Yeah, you
4: know, and the kind of post-war two or three generations where you didn't do that and you kind of moved out straight away, presumably because you could aff- the housing was affordable, uh, was a bit, a little bit weird in yeah. some ways. But uh, it does
3: infantilise you in some ways, doesn't it? I mean, that's the problem, is that you're used yeah, to living in a I, quite I, nice place. You've kids, got your place, like when you're watching yeah, TV, you all my, sit in the same place.
4: Kids, yeah, my kids are still at home. They're 24 and 26. And the way they behave at home, it amazes me that they then go out and do proper jobs. <laughs> do you know what I mean? They've got, both got responsible jobs. And yeah. you think, well, how, how, how do they function? Given that they are sort of like... Kind of 12 year olds at home.
3: But maybe that's a good thing, I think. I think it's actually quite, yeah. you know. They can let of, off steam, yeah. Yeah, I yeah. quite like it with my siblings yeah. when I literally revert to being eight and it's like, you know, who's taken my X, Y?
4: Yeah.
3: Particularly that. It's the oh, we were talking clothes. about this at the
4: Christmas thing, weren't yeah. we? You and your sister and the lilt thing.
3: Yeah, oh, yeah, we see yeah. all sorts of things, jokes that you then have that then get nicked by them. And you just, you know, having been quite adult all year.
2: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I, when I ever see my brother, I just regress back to just relentlessly taking the Mickey out of him. Yeah. And uh, and everyone else, the rest of his family, find that all quite entertaining because I like to see Big Bolt, of course, yeah, you know, down, yeah, yeah. And then he just, you know, starts to get me in a headlock.
4: Yeah, <laughs> it's, the, it's the British way, isn't it? Banter and a little bit of violence at the end. Yeah.
2: <laughs> this, is, this, is, this is, is it? Chris says none of us ever grow up. We just learn how to behave in public. Yeah, I think, that's I about, think it's yeah. important not to lose. That is what growing up is, though, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, but to not take too, si- yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. But, yeah. To, but to know that you're just behaving in public. Yeah, uh, Ella in Leeds says I've just turned seventy. And I still feel as silly as ever. Yeah. yeah. Not, you, be, well not being a grown up is letting the old man in. Uh, no, well, no, no, being a grown up. Yeah.
4: No, no not yet. I get what she's saying. Yeah. Ella, yeah. 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 I yeah, mean, yeah. I think that's people rebelling against that. And, and by and large, I think that's a good thing.
3: Yeah, yeah. I think growing up is actually paying taxes and things like that, isn't it? I mean, that's what you don't get when you're Whereas, yeah, so You're going to have to start doing all that kind of stuff. And
4: responsibility, knowing things are on you yeah. rather than
3: Insurance, somebody else. Insurance, things like that.
2: Yeah. And actually being, I suppose that dependency thing of whether you're still living at home or not, mm-hmm. but a sense that if something goes wrong, yeah. if your washing machine stops working, are you going to buy your washing machine or someone else going to buy your washing machine? Yeah.
4: And you get that, I mean, obviously the ultimate of that is having a child and you, you get yeah. them home from mm-hmm. the hospital and you look at each other and you think, oh, Oh Okay. Right. This is on us now.
2: Well, I even remember when my uh, when our daughter was born, uh, they um, my wife had been taken out of the room, and so I was just left literally holding the baby. Yeah. It was very exciting. Yeah. And then the midwife said, uh, should we put a nappy on her? And I was like, yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, crack of, <laughs> you crack on. Yeah, yes. yeah <laughs> if you like. Oh, sort of, no. no. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the first of You'll many. you doing that. Yeah. first yeah. of many, you yeah. You suddenly think, oh, blimey, yeah.
4: Yeah, oh, blimey, yeah. Yeah.' So that is, I suppose, that's the other thing that people used to do. I mean, the average age of becoming a parent well, now is, third, is 30. Well, maybe yeah. that's the other thing. Because that's
3: playing you're older,
4: aren't you? Yeah, and it used to be 20, so. Because you
2: haven't got your own house and you haven't got your own money and you can't meet anyone because everyone on the internet's a sex pest." Um, yeah
3: Yeah. and well, you can't but, really crack up if you've got children in quite the same way can no. you can't have a tantrum but also
4: the other thing is too much choice in the old, in the old days people didn't have the, you know you cut, it wasn't arranged marriage exactly but it wasn't that far off it yeah. you, you married people because you met them at the local dance yeah. or the or farmers or, or whatever. The farmers yeah but you and I met t- ours
3: really young we're different yeah, we, I mean, we were really young
4: yeah we are unusual usually in that respect yeah and we're people, now on our 25th wedding anniversary yeah same here and, and, the, and people our age and then you're younger, younger than
3: mm.
4: us. It's endless. oh dear, is there something better going to come along? Because you've just got the whole kind of world to choose from. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's not necessarily
2: a, a, a wonderful thing. I think it's interesting. Mike says, I think being a grown up basically crystallises when you start going to funerals regularly. I think that's being old. <laughs> anyway, great show. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that's that's a, that's a different thing we're talking about there. Mike. Yeah. When you're filling your days with 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 wake food, yeah, uh, <laughs> which is always a lovely spread. Mm. Always, yeah. a lovely yeah. spread. Yeah. always a lovely spread. always a lovely spread. Robert, we need to talk about your biceps. Do mm. we? Why yeah. are your biceps in the paper? Because a guy called Andrew Scott, who
4: people will know as the hot priest, an actor, a hot, he was very
3: hot. The From hot Fleabag. priest in
4: Fleabag. I'm not sure. I think he. I think he looks a bit like Ant out of Anton Deck. But anyway, the, uh, <laughs> uh, gay men uh, and women. Think otherwise, and uh, he's made a f- new film in which basically it seems to be about his biceps because mm. yeah. he's because he's pumped up his guns as they're known. And so, my boss, being my boss, told me yesterday, within about a minute, I told I found myself t- having to take my shirt off and be photographed and write about my own biceps yeah. well,
2: I think the yeah. objectification of Robert crampton has gone too far. Although they are a great, yeah. great set of,
3: they're good, aren't they? Great set
2: Cheers. of guns. Yeah. yeah, thank you.
3: That's probably the most red piece today.
2: Do you, in the do privacy you... of your own home, occasionally kiss them? No.
4: Okay. No, I think that, no. No, I mean, it is, no, it's sort of...
3: Popeye, basically,
4: isn't it? Yeah. Well, he was forearms, wasn't he? he How was, do you do it? Do you go to the gym was, to do it? If you got dumbbells it. at home? I haven't got any dumbbells at home. Now I go to the gym <laughs> two or three <laughs> times a week, and I have done for three years, and, that and you know, yeah, you've got to do something, that's and that's, that's the result. I've got absolutely yeah.
2: no upper body strength at all. Oh. None at all. That's because I don't do anything no, bit of bit of type, bit of light typing. That's yeah, it. does it bother you? Uh, only if I'm hanging off something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well that's so when I get the benefit. Exactly, when, I'm, yeah. when I'm hanging off something. Yeah, exactly. I really get the benefit. I, really, really... I can hang for ten seconds longer yeah, than exactly. you can. Yeah, yeah, I fall yeah. Yeah. off. Those, those monkey bars don't don't, don't hang off themselves. it's <laughs> yeah.
3: competitive hanging.
2: Yeah. Uh, um, uh, we've had another one loads of people getting in touch about the race Sheila says I'm 82 and I'm still 18 on the inside it's just the outside that lets me down this is nice all our listeners are uh, young at heart yeah exactly young as you feel young as you you feel feel.
3: well that's what we all do with sport don't we
2: you go
3: running you kind of like I do my yoga to try and get because you want to look a bit younger that's the thing yeah I
2: guess so and you just
3: feel it well you want to look how you feel basically don't Mm
2: -hmm. you yeah Yeah. I'd like to make clear I feel better than I look I don't really look, do anything. I do a bit of joking, I think you But you quite look young, great. Mate. Yeah. You look great. I always get told if, if I ever go on the skin. and I have makeup mm. great skin. Yeah, great, yeah. Complexion. great Skin. Do you moisturize? I do moisturize, yeah, yeah there you every go. day. Yeah.
3: I use the West yeah. Country rain as well. Isn't
2: I think it? I want somebody I remember like reading one of those articles about how you should start moisturizing yeah. in your twenties. So I did. Excellent yeah, I advice. I think Sakia moisturizes. Don't say this because I'll end up having to write a piece. <laughs> Sakia moisturises, I think. He's got I mean he's
3: sixty two, so
4: he does look good on it. Yeah.
3: Yeah, David yeah. Cameron's got that very kind of... He looks like he's been face, polished
4: he? by those carpet cleaners. Yeah. You know those, <laughs> you know, those ones industrial ones? ones. Yes. Yeah, the like circular uh, ones.
2: Like the parquet floor? Yeah, he looks yeah, like he's yeah. been buffed every morning oh, by that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That Excellent thing. sound effect. Well, you could have had Thanks Botox, so Matt.
3: We just, we just don't know. We
2: just don't know. All questions that we... Your re- eyebrows, really eyebrows aren't really moving, I don't know. I've not had Botox. I you were talking about David. I have had Botox. Of course you have, because that was for a piece. Ho,
5: ho, ho! Merry Christmas!
2: Now, should you discuss politics with the family over the festive period? And can you do without it turning into a massive festive punch-up? I'm joined by the UK's leading etiquette coach, uh, William Hanson's here. Hi, William. Hello, Matt. Thank you for having me. No, it's good to have you back. Good to have you back. What are your top tips for Alice and Robert when discussing uh, (laughs) politics over Christmas? (laughs)
5: Well you know they've said it we do all sort of regress into our old roles within families we the dynamics that might have existed in our childhood basically come back to the surface. I would also say is it worth it if if you have completely different views uh, of certain members of family Christmas is not meant to be a happy time uh, and it's sort of a, I think it's sticking your finger in the conversational plug if you know that what your opinion on whatever the topic is is going to be controversial Christmas isn't the time or place.
2: Day, yet you say that, William, sometimes mm. winding up your Brexity uncle is irresistible. Well, yes, and you might
5: take
1: great <laughs>
5: from it, but if it affects the general mood yes. uh, of, of the room, I would, I would say perhaps that do it another time. Well, 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 what it, about if it's something really serious, William, like somebody says something racist? Oh, good point. Yeah, you can absolutely call someone out. And my top tip would be as step one before you go completely uh, nuclear on them, I would sort of just say, so could you just repeat that? And just Mm. ask them to repeat it because 80% of the time they might backtrack and go, oh, no, well, no, what I meant was, I didn't mean it like that. And Mm. they sort of correct themselves crisis averted uh, if of course they continue down an ist uh <laughs> theme, then you can of course uh, if writers on your side you can absolutely go and uh,
4: get out <laughs> did you notice the way william said thank you for having me by yes, the way I yeah, he felt, I I not he's not the leading etiquette expert no for nothing, for nothing, nothing. thank uh,
3: you very much for having
4: us yes thank yes, you yes, yes, that's yes, very important yes, yes, uh,
2: william
5: very what is the thing that people do at christmas that you hate the most I don't like where the well. I don't like most people's decorations, but I also <laughs> don't. <like them. laughs> I don't like where the Christmas meal, whether it's a lunch or a dinner, is this. It's wasted in a no man's land, and it's sort of at three thirty four. Mm-hmm. Either have it at lunchtime, which is one o'clock, or have it at dinner time, sort of seven o'clock ish. Don't sort of have it in the middle of the day where it's got an identity crisis. Cool. I agree with that. That's a good point. Yeah, yeah that's cool. good. Yeah.
2: Yeah, but
3: my problem is it's not like the political arguments we're having. It's like, did you steal my drain pipe jeans circa 1978 oh. or something? Oh, yeah. And that can get quite heavy. What do you do I mean, then?
4: It's
2: also really insoluble, insolu- insolu- isn't it? Yeah. Because, um, And William, what do you do if, for instance, you've got some young people in the house who are vegans and what you really <laughs> want is a dirty great big turkey?
5: Uh, yeah. Well, look. If you know you've got vegans, vegetarians, etc. coming, then really everyone's dietary requirements should be accommodated, and they <laughs> they also should have told you, you're the host in advance that they have that dietary requirement. There's no mm. point in them turning up. But look, you know, it is part of modern etiquette now. Everyone has dietary requirements. In the old days, it was a lot easier because people just used to die. Uh, but now <laughs> you have to sort of you have to ask, uh, and that's probably. <laughs> So where where will you be spending Christmas, William? Uh, I shall be with my family in Bristol. <laughs> lovely, yeah. There we are. Is is, is that right, William? Are you are you related to our, our Hanson? Yes, yes, he is. Your is he still your Prime Minister? Yeah, he's still the Prime Minister of the quiz. Yes, I'm the Prime Minister's brother. There we are. It all comes. James
2: Hanson off of Times Radio. Oh yeah, yeah. There we are. Oh we all, well, it all comes together. William, lovely to speak to you again, and Merry Christmas. Happy Christmas to all of you. Oh, well, As a we'll well, we, we should fact, William, we should get you to do the quiz. That's what we should oh, do. Oh, no, I'd be terrible. No, we could. i good. <laughs> oh, get the brothers up against each other f- fighting at Christmas. Yeah. That's, exactly yeah, that's cool. Christmas, isn't <laughs> it? Happy, yeah. Yeah. Happy see, Christmas. How much, see how much etiquette they've got there. <laughs> <laughs> Alice Thompson and Robert Crampton Then, of course, you can read them both in The Times every week. Just get yourself a subscription. Go to uk forward slash Times box. Up next is PMQ's Unpacked.
1: This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at Lutonrising.org.uk.
2: You're listening to the Redbox Podcast now, it's time for this. PMQs unpacked on Times Radio. Unpacking the politics
6: and cutting through the crossfire.
2: Order, order. I call Matt Chorley and Tim Shipman. And Tim Shipman is here for the last one of the year. Chief Political Commentator of the Sunday Times, Tim, how are you? I'm very well
7: indeed. That's pretty telling that, isn't it? You know, the the numbers for them both. We've got two sort of not very exciting people about to contest this who are viewed quite negatively by the public. One of them is going to be our Prime Minister next year for probably a protracted period of time. Now is the moment. Seize the day.
2: Set the agenda as we go into the Christmas break. And as it's the last one of the year, uh, she's back, Aisha Azarika, off of Times Radio. Hello. Uh, you're here to, to guide us to and hopefully educate us in the, the, the structure of a Keir Starmer joke.
8: <laughs> Come on, that's a bit... It's a bit, uh, it's a bit nasally, I mean, isn't wrote,
2: it? You wrote them for Red Miliband. I mean, surely. <laughs> that
8: went well.
2: <laughs> now, if you weren't listening last week, I've just put it in. We've got a little, just a little roundup of some of Keir Starmer's uh, jokes from last week. Let's just take a listen to some of these.
9: I
10: would say that this treaty's got more holes in than the Swiss cheese, but I don't want to wind up the Prime Minister by talking about a European country again. Forget the private jet, he's obviously on a private planet of his own. From up yours, to laws to take our money, Kigami.
2: <laughs> Sorry, that's so bad, It's funny. <laughs> <laughs> that last one got you. That last one got you. <laughs> it was weird, though, last week, Aisha, because he was quite good for three questions, really zeroing in on the detail that this Rwanda plan isn't going anywhere, even if it does, it's only 100 people, what's the point of all of that? And then it just fell apart.
8: Yeah, then he sort of went into the sort of uber band. And of course, the week before, he'd had that really good PMQs. I think probably his best one yet. And I think... Very rarely does PMQs really cut through, but I think that week mm. was a week that cut through because it spoke to a truth. I think what's happened, and I, I see this a lot with politicians, is that at the beginning they're really nervous about making jokes, and particularly like someone like Kier, who you know I know quite well, is a very very nice guy. He's not Mister Giggles, right, in terms <laughs> of like Uber. He's not the Archbishop of Banterbury, right, put yeah. it that way. But I think once you get the kind of thrill of a couple of jokes that go well for you in the chamber, you can get a little bit addicted yeah, to yeah, it. Yeah. I think sometimes there's a bit of sort of overreach the other thing which is fair to say even though um us outside are like oh it was like a groan like in the chamber god loves a trier and i think like <laughs> you know your side particularly labour side just gets so cheery if someone makes some effort some semblance of a joke they just kind of really go with it
7: Mr. Giggle sounds a bit like a slightly sinister children's toy, yeah, yeah, doesn't yeah. it? That, Not, that might have been popular oh, I was in thinking, the 80s, that would be
2: inappropriate children's now. Children's entertainer who hasn't passed his DBS check. Yes, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> who
8: smells faintly of booze.
2: Um, there was a poll running online. Who should uh, write Keir Starmer's jokes? Aisha, Matt, Tim, or Lara? Uh, Aisha is just edging ahead. Oh, uh, you can oh. get online and vote on that. Uh, we Slightly are hardly fair. You're both
7: stand up comedians, so um, that's very kind of you to say so. To right, you both, I've watched you both do stand up, <laughs>
2: <laughs> and that is entirely factual
7: review. <laughs>
8: <laughs> that was just ringing endorsement. Yeah, yeah. That's actually when good. you do a gig and you come off, and someone goes, "How do you think that went?" Yeah.
7: <laughs> no, no, you actually both are sort of. Um, try to be funny and are, whereas I just do sort of speeches where people are pleasantly surprised if you say anything amusing. So And
8: you'll probably get paid a lot more Obviously a us. lot more money than we've made <laughs> at our uh, gigs
2: right, here we go, then let's find out. Has Keir Starmer been at the joke book again for the last time in 2023 we go live to the House of Commons of PMQ's on Pat. This is Keir Starmer.
10: Yesterday we heard of the tragic death of a young man on the Bibby Stockholm. Shame. I know the whole house will want to send our deepest condolences to his family and friends. We must never let this happen again. Amen. I would also like to mark the retirement of my colleague and friend, Mark Drakeford, the First Minister of Wales. Amen. Mark committed his life to public service and lives his values every day. Quietly and patiently, Mark has been a titan of Labour and Welsh politics, and we thank him for his service and wish him well. Amen. Mr Speaker, Christmas is a time of peace on earth and goodwill to all. Has anyone told the Tory party? Uh oh. Here we go. It's
7: bold, I like the ambition. Wow.
11: Mr Speaker, Christmas Mr Speaker, Christmas is also a time for families, and under the Conservatives we do have a record number of them, Mr Speaker.
2: That's a a joke. That's a five-families
11: joke. Mr Speaker, at at the beginning of the year, I set out some priorities that this government would deliver for the British people. And over the course of this year, we have, Mr Speaker, inflation halved, Mr Speaker, the economy growing, debt falling, action on the longest waiters, the boats down by a third, and crucially, as we heard from Honourable Friend, tax cuts coming to help working families in the new year.
2: Right, let's just pause it there and just get our breath back. Um, uh, quite the gear shift from uh, a death on the Bibby Stockholm, Mark Drakeford's resignation... And I
7: love the tribute to Mark Drakeford quietly getting... Uh, this is a man who <laughs> obviously is incapable of speaking excitingly in public and has been quietly doing his job in a way that no one ever noticed. But well done him. Well done him.
2: At <laughs> this uh,
8: point, he didn't mention Caffili Cheese.
2: Cofilli, that was the only thing everyone knows about Mark Drakeford is a big fa- fan of Caffili Cheese. Um... Uh, Christmas is the time for goodwill, uh, peace on earth, and goodwill to, to all men. Um, how's it going at the toy party?
8: At that point, we were all looking at each other, going, Oh, here we go. The joke placard yeah, yeah, goes yeah. up. Look, that is pretty standard fare. I think that's not a bad opening, you know, bit of knock about. Everyone at Christmas expects some really bad Christmas jokes. There's a whole kind of, there'll be a whole range of ugly sisters, grim brothers, all that sort of thing. It was fine. I mean, I'll like give he
7: him had 5.2. To do... He's just the right side of the line. Yeah, with that,
2: yeah isn't he,
8: he kind of had to go with
2: it. Also, it rings it true. It's a sort of thing that he might have thought of himself.
8: Yeah. Uh, and it was really short. And it was nice and, good, nice and Authentically
2: short. Authentically dad joke is what they're saying, essentially. Rishi Sunak saying, you know, Christmas is also a time for families. And in the Tory party, we've got a lot of them. That's a five families That's joke. That's actually a it? good it's joke. The, it's not bad. It's a Marc Francois and his weird five-families godfather thing. Although everyone seems to be in all of the families.
7: Uh, John Hayes is uh, very prolific. He's um, in at least three of the five families. <laughs> yeah. um, which means there may be a bit of interbreeding going says, on somewhere. It's feeling,
8: it's feeling a bit Mormon, isn't but it? But as the
7: Times leader pointed out this morning, five factions on one wing of the Tory party... Yeah. yeah. Maybe one or two too many if you're going to achieve anything. And last night, they um, didn't. Well, so
8: I, I want to just stick up for Ricky Sunak at this point and just say, actually, sometimes it's very good to anticipate a, an attack yeah. and own it. So I think he gets a point for that. Fairly. And then
2: taking the, uh, the the dad joke and just using an excuse to rattle through your pledges. So, half inflation, economy growing. I'm going I mean, to make
7: a prediction. That may not be the last we hear. The of economy is not rundown. growing,
2: though, as we discovered this morning. Uh, it shrunk in October. Uh, I'm not sure the debt is falling... Um, and he's now saying he's focusing on the longest waiters. Action again, on the longest Action waiters, the which longest.
7: makes it sound a bit
2: like he's personally going around and telling them, "Get out of your beds,
7: so you're no longer but waiting." again, that's
2: slightly shifting from cutting waiting lists mm, because yes. that's that's all together. And then and then some talk of tax cuts. So we've we've got, we've set the tone. This feels like knockabout end of year stuff. Definitely,
8: definitely. I know as well that Rwanda's economy is growing faster than ours. Well, I'm at not moment.
2: surprised. All the money, all the money. <laughs> we've given them, yeah, all those all those new houses that have gone up, and you know.
8: Everyone's having a swimming pool. I
2: mean, just, No Nimbis in Rwanda. Just what Suella <laughs> Braverman spent on Toblerones at Kigali Airport is probably keeping <laughs> that economy going. Right, let's go back to the House of Commons. Though. This is question two from Keir Starby.
10: Mr Speaker, he can spin it all he likes, but the whole country can see that yet again, the Tory party is in meltdown and everyone else is paying the price. Now, he's kicked the can. He kicked the can down the rope. But in the last week, his, his MPs, his MPs have said of him, he's not capable enough, he's inexperienced, he's arrogant, a a really bad politician. Well, they're shouting, this is what they said. So, well, come on, come on. Who who was it who said he's a really bad politician? Hands well, up. I
7: know because it was in my piece. <laughs>
10: <laughs> they're shouting. Well, what about pato. inexperienced? Who was that? Or, and now there's got to be some hands for this. He's got to go. Oh, shy. Apparently, he's holding a Christmas party next week. Pat? Order.
7: Order. It's Christmas. No, the Christmas. Yeah, 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 yeah. But you might not want the Christmas present that I could give you. So please, here's love.
10: Oh. Oh.
2: Lindsay Hall, they're really cutting
10: Apparently and ruining his flow. Apparently, he's holding a Christmas flow. party next week. How's the invite list looking?
2: <laughs> oh, that would have been better if i had been been Lindsay Hall. <laughs> <laughs> Mr.
11: Speaker, well, Mr. Speaker, I, uh, I, I, I thank the uh, honourable gentleman for all the comments. Uh, what I would say to him, he should hear. He should hear. I, I should, he should hear what they have to say about him, Mr. Speaker. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's not bad. No. But,
8: that's so weak. That's basically like your mum.
2: <laughs> it is a bit like, that is a bit like in
8: between is that
2: us. It? Is he just, is he sat down again? Is that it? That was the full extent of his response. They should hear what they say about him. Wow. Yeah,
7: that's full on and Newman from, yeah. you know, your that's, mum. That's you, that is. <laughs> that's you, that's that a, is. You
8: smell, see yeah. that thing on the floor?
7: That's That, that, that said, is. what is the purpose here today is to, for a guy who's had a a pretty unutterably awful couple of weeks and it looked like um, the stool might be being kicked out from under his swinging neck last night. He survived that. He just wants them to go home to Christmas and worry about their Toblerones rather than whether he's still their Prime Minister. And there was quite a big cheer for that really appallingly bad response. Um, Tories have a low... Humour quotient, but just just threshold, I would say.
2: Just remind us: the person who called him useless and arrogant had to go in your piece. Was that an unnamed person it was or an named unnamed, unnamed member us. of the cabinet? Right.
8: Gosh, that doesn't narrow it down, does it? No. Um, but just uh, in terms of that hands up thing. That is such a sort of classic device that um, I remember we loved doing that with, with, with Ed because everyone slightly does get confused. It's just such a sort of... It's a sort of slightly rubbish device, but it does cause enough... Because there's always some sort of pudding who does put their hand up because they think it's a sort of, you have to put your hand up. So that is just a slightly pantomime thing that... But Paul's he did it quite
10: well. He had a
2: bit... He seemed sort of a bit confident bit of swagger, in it, a bit of swagger. A bit and of swagger, His yeah, face I mean, was a bit Widow Twanky, though, I would say. There, there are was times w- when... <laughs> Particularly when Keir Starmer's got his glasses on, he does look a bit like he could be like the gran in Little Red Riding Hood,
8: or Mrs. Doubtfire.
2: Yes, it's real Mrs. Doubtfire. Little
8: vibe. kind of. A, but you, you're right. He is enjoying himself. He's <laughs> what an optic. What
7: now an there's a challenge. Yeah. We got a Zippy on. Can you get Mrs. Doubtfire?
8: Yeah, on? get John O'Farrell.
2: Well, the guy from the, we got the from the from the He's live from the live. Yeah, the, yeah mm. Let's do that. Can we get Mrs. Doubtfire in. Right, very good. Let's go back to the House of Commons. I'm glad we're taking all this as seriously as they are. Uh, this is question three from uh, Keir
10: Because They've obviously found the donkey for their nativity. The search, the search of three wise men may take a little longer. Uh, but while they fight amongst themselves, there's a country out here that isn't being governed, where more than 100,000 people are paying hundreds more a month on their mortgages. Energy bills going back up in January. The economy shrinking again. NHS waiting lists an all time high. Doesn't he think the government would be better off fixing the messes they've already made rather than scrambling to create new ones? Mr. Mr. Speaker, he talks about governing and spent the first two
11: questions talking about political tittle tattle, Mr. Speaker. Well, let's get on to the substance, Mr Speaker. Let's get on to the substance. He mentioned the things. What is the news that we've just heard in the last week? Well, what's the most important thing? The most important thing is education, Mr Speaker, because that's how we spread opportunity in our country. And what have we learned? Where are the schools performing best in the United Kingdom? In England, Mr Speaker, thanks to the reforms of this Conservative government, rising up the league tables, giving our kids the start they need, and where are they plummeting down? In Labour-run Wales.
2: Oh, poor Mr. Drakeford. It's a good point, though. I and mean, it's an interesting question as to whether or you know, given that, you know, Keir Starmer boasts on the record now ha- having ousted Richard Leonard in Scotland because he was seen as a roadblock to the making. Uh, to Corbynite. To Corbynite and basically being a bit useless. But Mark Drakeford's record in Wales, in terms of the the attacks that the Tories can make, isn't great, whether it's on schools, NHS waiting lists, the row over 20 miles per hour. Well, he was being very quiet. He should have shouted a bit louder. about the sound (laughs) of it. But you know what I mean? So, in terms of going into a general election next year, not having Drakeford there and a new person who can say, oh, nothing to do with us, but turning things around, Mm. it does remove some of the sting.
8: You're definitely going to, I mean, that's a Tory pivot, right? You're going to see. Tories pivoting to Wales. I mean, they didn't mention Scotland, but I'm sure that will come up when Stephen Flynn stands up. He will use that again as a rejoinder and say, because the Scottish education system has has really plummeted as well. But what I thought was... I thought the the donkey thing from Keir Starmer was was, was pretty good. But what's very interesting was watching Keir Starmer clearly wanting to pivot back to the economy and cost of living, because... The Tories and certainly reform want to make this a sort of immigration election. Mm. And, and Labour has spent a lot of time talking about immigration because of Rwanda. They don't really want to be doing that. They want everything to pivot back to cost of living. So I thought it was quite interesting a uh, pivot from Keir Starmer there.
2: And also, you know, that that line, why don't you fix the mess that you've made rather than scrambling to create another one? That that feels like something that, you know, could have even that could even be a line lifted from a focus group. There's sort of like, you know, yeah. there's there's enough problems already. Why are they having this sort of uh, interesting as well is now declaring education the most important thing not well, something we've ever really heard from him well before. he
7: always sort of says that but he's never really done very much but about it but it's not it. one of his t- top pledges it's not one pledges. of his pledges
2: no no great ele- education reform apart from some vague idea about doing maths till and 18. let's
8: not forget we just had the nightmare of like sending your little darling in school wearing a crash helmet in case like a bit of the ceiling fell down um, on him yeah. so yeah
7: or we'll put some tinsel around I it. I mean, whisper but it quietly. It may suit both the Tories and Labour to have an argument about the economy rather than about immigration because, as you say, that doesn't help the Tories with reform. Um, and if Sunak can get in a position early in the year where he says, look, um, we've, these tax cuts are beginning to come through, the economy's turning around, they always were expecting a little blip in GDP this month um, with it improving again next month. Um that might, you know, Labour can say we'd spend the money better than you and we we care about this, this and this that you don't care about and they may, you know, the best, most plausible election argument for the Tories is we're slightly turning the corner. Don't don't let Labour go and screw it up. So it may suit them both to get onto that terrain a, ultimately. And,
8: and there are really interesting dividing lines um, against them both on you know education's one area where Labour has got something interesting to say about a controversial VAT on mm. private schools. So you know you know they'd be quite happy, Bridget, Yeah, whereas on immigration,
7: happy. it's not working for the Tories and Labour
2: doesn't really have a policy. And that's sort but of,
7: not, it's but a pretty arid area. Tories
2: I speak to are really frustrated. They don't talk about their education record more. They're actually the, the yep. growing up the Pisa things and a lot of it actually because it takes so long dates back to this. Well, yeah, it's Michael that Michael Gove 2010 isn't it uh, and yeah. Nick, Gibb. Yeah, Nick right, yes. Gibb he did a good,
10: quite a good who, job of that who
2: uh, got bumped off at the reshuffle uh, right let's go back
10: then this is what question number four from Keir Starmer. He, he talks about children nearly 140,000 children are going to be homeless this Christmas that is more than ever before That's a shocking state of affairs, and it should shame this government. Instead of more social housing, house building is set to collapse. Instead of banning no-fault evictions, thousands of families are at risk of homelessness. Rather than indulging his backbenchers, swanning around in their factions and their star chambers, pretending to be members of the Mafia, when's he going to get a grip and focus on the country? Let's, let's just look at the facts. Let's look at the facts, actually.
11: Because rough sleeping r- rough sleeping in this country is down by 35%, Mr. Speaker, since this week, thanks to the efforts of this government. There are hundreds of thousands of fewer children in poverty today, thanks to this government, Mr. Speaker. And when it comes to home building, again, what are you doing? We just had the data this last week. In the last year, an almost record number of new homes delivered, Mr. Speaker. More than in any year of the last Labour government.
2: Uh, it's interesting how Keir Starmer, he's actually managed to pull this off. Like, sarky joke. He's now turned into, into attack line. Attack
7: yeah. line. Yeah. yeah. Um, pretending to be members of the mafia, mucking about. This is a serious business. I mean, the hilarious thing about this five families mafia joke is that it was invented by a reporter for Mail Online and then embraced <laughs> by the people in the mafia families who thought, oh, that's hilarious. We without
2: without realising it in the film, they all kill each other.
7: Yeah, and I mean, those of us old enough to remember when the senior people in the ERG started referring to themselves as the Grand Wizards, who, <laughs> who of course used to run the Ku Klux <laughs> Klan, remember how these things yeah. can
2: backfire sometimes, the sort of self-image of these people. But in terms of the structure of that, uh Aisha what Keith is doing is he's he's getting the joke in but then by pivoting to 140,000 children at homeless this christmas he's sort of denying Rishi Sunak the opportunity to come back with a joke
8: yeah and i actually think it's it's a structure that's really working for him and it's very uh, reminiscent for me having prepared going up against him of William Hague actually William Hague used to do that was quite a tactic he used to do where he would actually not just run on the same theme he would go on different topics but he would kind of get a joke in early which made it very very difficult to respond I think it's really interesting that Starmer's chosen um, homelessness and child homelessness that does work for him in a number of areas it signals some left-wing credentials Mm. to bits of his movement that are feeling a bit bruised after the Thatcher comments and things like that it's a bit of kind of um sort of all-time religion for uh the the, the labor side of things also sunak is on kind of ropey ground on this because he can say look this, the rough sleeping figures have gone down that is not how it feels in the country but
2: also that is actually a different thing so the these figures are 140 000 children living in temporary accommodation so without a home it's a classic sunak That's response not isn't it, it? Yeah. Look at me, i know the numbers
0: and, you know, Everything's sleeping
2: fine. In, in sleeping bags uh, under you and he, know, and he's, so so. He's he, he's, you know, he's he's talking about something which is a bit near also, what we are, but not quite.
8: A, a, a strange ground to go on when his home secretary recently said that mm. sleeping rough is a lifestyle choice. So, um, but that is very much you know that Starmer again. I think. That is him using PMQs quite strategically so that his people can say to the left of his party, look, he he does care about these issues as well, the issues that we know you care about, the social justice
2: issues. I'm going to say, so far, so so good. Yeah? The jokes aren't terrible. Interesting attack lines, but then Rishi Sunak pivoted... Somebody's just texting and saying, stop saying pivot.
5: Sorry.
2: Sorry, Richard. Um, uh, Anyway, but Rishi Sunak pivoting uh, (laughs) to whatever it is that he wants to talk about. You know, they're both, you know... And if the aim of the game is sending your troops home with a spring in your step, they're both probably doing all right on that test. They're thus both far. above
7: their usual average, I would say. Yeah, which is pretty bad.
2: It's Matt Cholly <laughs> on Times Radio with Tim Shipman. and has a week. Bring you PMQs Pat live on Times Radio and on the Times Radio YouTube channel, so you can watch along as well, so you can see their faces and ours. If that's what you want while you're having your lunch, let's go back to the comments. Uh, it's question five from Starmer.
10: 140,000 children homeless this Christmas, and he's utterly tone deaf. Yes. And the rise in homelessness shows how these Tory crises merge and grow and damage the country. Families like the Bradys in Wiltshire, both parents working full time with two young children, forced out of their home of 15 years by a no-fault eviction, now living in their van. Or 11-year-old Liam Walker, homeless. This Christmas. He wrote a letter to Santa saying, Please can I have a forever home? I don't want any new toys, I just want all my old toys out of storage. I just want us to be happy again. Is there anything that could shame this government into putting the country first? Then it's surely this little boy. He is. Mr.
11: Speaker, if you really cared about building homes, If he really cared about building homes, when when there was an opportunity in this house, Mr. Speaker, in this house, to back our plans to reform defective EU laws, to unlock 100,000 new homes, Mr. Speaker, what did he do? What did he do? He went in front of the cameras and said one thing and came in here and blocked it. Typical, shameless opportunity.
8: Wow. Wow. I mean, that escalated.
7: Quite. And this, you know, I was talking yesterday to people who are potential rebels on this um, uh, Rwanda stuff. They went to see the Prime Minister. Um, and where some of them sort of went away happy, a lot of them didn't, because they felt that he was just sort of riding roughshod and saying, I'm right, I'm right. And when I've got a strong opinion about where I'm right, you can all go hang. Um, And that was just a classic example of a bad answer at the beginning. Um, You know, I mean, maybe his side will give him some points for the way it concluded. But um, where was the counter story? Where was the... I know families like that in my own constituency. And I'll tell you what helped them out. It was when we were able to build this or do that or whatever it was he wants to claim credit for. And you try and humanise your own side of the argument and then you can hit him back with, and by the way, we did try to build some more homes and you didn't. But when you come across in the face of a sort of emotive question with a shrill response that basically says, I'm going to completely ignore what you've said and then have a pop at you... um, He's... Starmer's right. It is tone-deaf. And that's one of the things that Tory MPs find difficult to swallow about Rishi Sunak. He's a terribly clever bloke,
2: but he hasn't learned that, how to sound like a human being. I wonder, because somebody was... Uh, we were talking about uh, this, I think maybe on the show yesterday or in the week, I should think, because people go from, you know, newly elected backbench MP to now Prime Minister in such record time. They don't sort of build up that sort of back catalogue of you know, anecdote and uh, experience so that when you find yourself in a sticky situation and maybe, you you know, Rishi Sinat bluntly didn't spend years on the back benches watching other people make these mistakes and learning from them. Very quickly, he was on the front bench himself. Um, Actually, there was an answer to that question that was, you know, this very sad story and I read that story in the mirror myself and, you know, my heart go. I'm sure hearts go out to them, and we have done this and this, but there's always more to do. Uh, we could all work together, but you know, when we did bring that, in, you know, there's just a wh- absolutely there's a, th- th- that is a choice. Yeah, the way he's chosen to answer that question. I mean, I
8: think I think Tim's used the right phrase. It, it, it's tone deaf, and I think what Rishi Sunak really struggles with is sometimes just being able to read the room and kind of read the the, the mood of where things were. I mean, Keir Starmer didn't make a, a sort of jokey comment there; that he he was going straight in for the the heartstrings, the the human story, you could you know, you could picture that wee boy. And you're right, there's a, there's loads of places Sunat could have come back on. In fact, if I was Sunat and I was advising him, I'd say, look what that boy needs and what his family needs more than anything is a really stable economy we know we need to be able to you know, you could you could do what yeah. he doesn't need it is sort of recklessness so you you could you could do a whole thing like that but to to start yelling essentially about a measure which was allowing house builders to pump chemicals into rivers it is such a sort of um stretch but to your point, Matt, I, I always remember, you know, speaking to older, like, Labour backbenchers when prepping Ed for PMQs and, and speaking to lots of people in the Lords as well who'd been former MPs, and you're right. Many people in the front bench now don't have that apprenticeship mm. on, on the backbenches where they even spend time sort of sitting looking at how the uh, the craft of the commons works you know how you ask the right questions what are the different sort of um cadences of questions what are the different moods in in, in the, the sort of chamber And I think you forget Rishi Sunat's really inexperienced. His team is really inexperienced Mm. as well. You know, his political secretary was a journalist for The Spectator like five minutes ago. He hasn't got a lot of kind of seasoned, gnarly people around him who could say, look, sometimes you've got to take it down a bit. You know, sometimes it's generally when I, you know, when I've prepped people, and you know, I've prepped prime ministers as well, Gordon Brown and, and Harriet when she was acting for Gordon. What you have to do is you often judge your you, you match your response to the tone of the question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so if someone comes hard at you, you go hard back at them. If someone comes in with a more human interest, you take it down a bit. Whereas he he sort of not understood
2: that. I remember there was once somebody asked Gordon Brown what the how much it cost to fill a car with petrol, and he started talking about barrels of oil, and that was a similar sort of detachment between you know what was a very retail thing. People pointed out, but he doesn't drive because he can't, you know, because of his eyes. But um you know, that you do need to match those, those, those two things. Well, let's see if it gets any better in the, uh, in the final uh, final stages, then. Their last set two of 2023. This is question six from Keir Starmer. Thank
6: you, Mr Speaker. Yeah, yeah. He
10: hasn't yeah. As the world... Yeah. Oh, one more. Mr Speaker, is that really his Christmas message to Liam? Cocooned in his party management breakfast. He just can't see the country. Order, order. Mr
7: Lovely, please. It's Christmas, I want a little bit of silence. So that's James Lovely, I mean, the Home Secretary, being
2: told off. I'm to get
10: off. it one way or another, and that goes to each side. Here's Cocooned in his party management breakfast, he just can't see the country in front of him and what they've done. I'll finish by thanking hard-working families across Britain who kept our country going. It's been an impossibly difficult year for so many. I want to pay special tribute to our key workers, particularly those in the emergency services and those serving abroad in our forces, who, even at this time of year, are doing the vital work of protecting their country. I wish everyone, including the members opposite, a very happy and peaceful New Year. Will the Prime Minister join me?
11: I, th- I think, Mr. Speaker, he, mi- he, missed, he, mi- he missed that I paid tribute to our emergency workers at the beginning of the session, Mr. Speaker. But let's see. No, because I think it is important, because he talked about working families. Of course, Mr. Speaker, I want to make sure that we support working families, and that's what we're actually delivering, Mr. Speaker. Because all he has to offer them is borrowing £28 billion a year which all it will do is push up their mortgage rates and push up their taxes. Meanwhile, what have we done? Delivered tax cuts for millions of working families, boosted the national living wage, Mr Speaker, recruited 50,000 more nurses, 20,000 more police officers, improved our schools. We've cut the cost of net zero for those working families. We've cut the boat crossings by a third and we've halved inflation. And that's the difference, Mr Speaker. We're getting on and delivering for working Britain.
2: I'm not sure if the, the charge was that he was tone deaf. I'm not sure that final answer... You know, when I I basically dialed it right down, It basically just wanted to say Happy Christmas.
7: Yeah. I mean, I, at the risk of making this about me, I've spent six years... <laughs> I
2: surely don't. I
7: have spent six you, years Jim. writing about the last six, seven years of Tory oh. politics, and I am bored of covering people who don't understand that politics is not just about policy, mm. it's not just about delivery... It's about taking people with you and about convincing them of your argument. And so many of the people um, we have seen um, find that very difficult. Um, Boris Johnson could kind of take people with him. He didn't know where he was going and he often didn't get there. Um, Theresa May didn't know where she was going and had no idea how to get there and then was able, unable to take people with her even when she did work it out. Um, Rishi Sunak kind of knows where he's going um, he seems totally incapable of taking anyone with him, including several factions of his own party. And that, I think, is what has been revealed, you know, big time today. And it was a game of two halves, but the other way around this week. Yeah. Starmer started well, but Sunak kind of dealt with it fine. And then he just turned into shrill, snippy, rishy. Um, And I think he's made a Horlicks of the last three questions.
2: Last week, when Keir Starmer went 3 questions serious, three-jokey, it seemed to sort of lose the plot a bit we're doing the jokey bit yeah. at the beginning and then getting more and more serious which just denied sunak any opportunity to laugh and like relax a bit so instead he, it was just he was like the sort of pull the string in the back of the dummy you know just read out your 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 targets it's interesting actually some people on the on the youtube channel are saying that you know starmer is uh using the attack lines so he'd use in an election campaign uh, and Sunak's just basically saying everything is brilliant. That's not going to work with a with an electorate.
8: Well, our listeners are incredibly um, astute because if you are smart and your strategists are smart, you use PMQs as a testing mm-hmm. ground for your campaign slogans, which then come out in the short campaign. I remember hearing from David Cameron the phrase "long-term economic plan" again and again and again, and of course that ended up being the sort of frame for their um, election. I just thought it was so revealing about how Rishi Sunak handled that last question. It clearly discombobulated him that Keir Starmer didn't do a massive attack. Normally that last opportunity, that last question for both leaders is a chance to sort of dump on the other one. And Keir Starmer decided to kind of go statesman and thank the country. And I thought even Rishi Sunak's in... Uh, uh, I did pay tribute, actually, right at the point of information.
7: I think you'll find the On a point of order, Mr Speaker. I
8: did, I did, actually. I, think I did actually I, say uh, thank you to I, the I, nurses. I did. I And
2: I'm not doing it again. I wouldn't dream of saying it again. (laughs) And,
8: you know, that that sort of, that pre-rehearsed dump, it also showed two things to me. A, he's not good at cooking. Thinking on his feet because he should at that point been able to sort of think, right, I'm actually gonna rip this script up. I'm gonna try mm. and match the energy that I've just you know. He could have said something really statesman like, Look, it has been a very, very difficult year for, for every could to make a self by myself included. Yeah. But you know, I thank him for his comments. I hope he and his family have a restful time. But I want people to know that over this Christmas, I'm gonna be straining every sinew to come back. You know, we've got to, you know, do the right thing. He could have done a big do the right thing yeah, for the
7: yeah, country. Yeah, yeah. It's almost like you should have a career prepping senior politicians. for this... But it's, really, uh, it's really
2: just getting under the getting under the the, the 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 bonnet of it, the mechanics of it, and the fact that actually some some weeks he's terrible, but Keir Starmer's team this week that. The way they've it's used clever. the ebb and flow, and that business of just basically saying "Happy Christmas" at the end, uh, and just it's playing the other guy out. as well because yeah, yeah, yeah. they yeah. know how he responds yeah, yeah. to this stuff.
8: And just, but by kind of doing that "Thank You, Britain" question at the end, it's almost like not doing a question because yeah. sometimes the other trick you can do at PMQs as leader of the opposition is stop after five, and it really does yeah, yeah, the yeah, other yeah. person's head in because they haven't done that. That means they can't do their dump on you. Yeah, yeah. So, like, he practically didn't do a question. and allowed himself to look statesman-like, yeah. and it made it caught Rishi. He asked out. him if he
2: wanted to wish everybody a happy Christmas.
9: Across the UK, on DAB Digital Radio,
3: on the free Times Radio app, and on your smart speaker, Matt Chorley on Times Radio.
2: Uh, very good afternoon to It's Matt Chorley on Times Radio. We've done PMQs, unpacked the key exchanges. Lara Spear is watching the best of the rest. How was it, Lara? It was good. Yes! Finally!
9: <laughs> I practice saying very that. Very
2: good, very good. Uh, was it good?
9: Yeah, I mean, g- to genuinely honest, was honest, I would just interesting. say that
2: every week just to keep him quiet.
7: Well, yeah. exactly.
9: No, exa- I'm well advised. Um, there were moments that were genuinely very interesting, yes.
2: And um, what are they? Where are we going first?
9: We're going obviously first to Stephen Flynn, s Westminster uh, leader. And this question, uh, ceasefire in Gaza, uh, is raised. We haven't heard this in PMQs for oh, yeah. a fair amount of time, or at least it hasn't led in the way that at the beginning of uh, the conflict, the most recent conflict, uh, it had. So I think it's worth uh, listening to this. And it is a, uh, it's a pretty punchy question from Stephen Flynn
10: Thank you Mr Speaker can the Prime Minister please share his Christmas message for children being bombed in Gaza this winter
7: Uh,
10: Mr Speaker
11: nobody wants to see this conflict go on for a moment longer than necessary We urgently need more humanitarian pauses to get all the hostages out and to get life-saving aid into Gaza to alleviate the suffering of the Palestinian people. And we have been consistent that we support what is a sustainable ceasefire, which means Hamas must stop launching rockets into Israel and release all the hostages.
2: It was a punchy question, and again, yeah, you know, in terms of the art of uh, asking questions of PMQs, keeping it short is often better.
9: Yeah, and I mean, you heard the shouting that yeah, Richard yeah. Sunak was subjected to there as well, um, and there was a question uh, later on on uh, the the uh, crimes of sexual violence from Theresa Villiers um, perpetrated by uh, Hamas that we've seen in reports, which uh, Richard Sunak answered to. So it was a, uh, a, P- a PMQs from the backbenches where we did see a number of questions on uh, on that, but. Can I move on to the next
2: one? Yeah, where are we going next?
9: Uh, we are going to Sir Stephen uh, Timms, who asks this question that I think a number of people have been asking since we saw that big announcement on legal migration at the beginning of last week. It feels like such a long time ago that now, <laughs> but obviously actually semi-recently, um, on uh, spousal salaries uh, and the threshold needed uh, to come here and the possibility, or indeed, uh, under the current system, the likelihood that many uh, marriages might need to be, or weddings might need to be called off uh, on account of this. And I think an interesting news this line is the because thirty-eight
2: thousand is the new threshold,
9: and uh, Rishi Sunak confirming here that, which I don't think we've heard before, at least uh, I've certainly missed it, that there are transitional arrangements uh, that the Home Office are coming to, uh, are looking at at the moment that they're planning on announcing soon to make sure that those who are further down the line on this might actually still be able to marry the people they love. So, have a listen to this question.
10: Uh, thank you, Mr. Yeah. Speaker. Uh, the marriage plans of thousands of couples were dashed last week by the sudden announcement of a big increase in the salary requirement for a spouse visa. Can the Prime Minister give any reassurance to those with very well-advanced marriage plans which appear now to have been scuppered and to families already in the UK who need to extend their stay who won't comply with the new rules. Can he at least offer some transitional help for families or does his party's support for the family now only apply to the highly paid?
11: Well, Mr. Speaker, we have a long standing principle that anyone bringing dependents to the UK must be able to support them financially. We should not expect this to be at the taxpayers' expense and the threshold hasn't been raised in over a decade it's right that we have now brought it in line with the median salary uh, the family immigration route as he knows does contain provision for exceptional circumstances but more generally it's also right and i can tell him to look at transitional arrangements to ensure that they are fair and the home office are actively looking at this and will set out further information shortly
2: that's interesting transitional arrangements and looking at it so that so it might not be quite such a
9: Hard Hard. and sharp break that if you've already planned to come and get married here, um, you might not have to be calling it off. So uh, I think that was one of the big... Moments in that big package uh, of my, of measures that were announced uh, last week that got quite a lot of subsequent attention was this question that actually uh, it could apply to pretty imminent uh, arrangements. And there was concern also from some Conservative MPs that I spoke to about that, that if they get the management of that wrong, yeah. uh, it might not work in their favour. And fundamentally, it also might distract from what they think is otherwise uh, a, pack, a positive, in their view, a tough package of
2: reforms. Very good. Very good. Uh, finally, a Tory
9: MP. Tory MP James Morris, uh, this uh, I include this because it was one of quite a few semi-critical questions um, from the backbenchers today uh, on issues that I think you would expect um, the Liberal Democrats possibly, but certainly Labour, uh, to raise issues around healthcare, issues around rivers and dental care. But this is about the Mental Health Act. And you remember that uh, Keir Starmer uh, used that Prime Minister's questions just before the budget to go on mental health. This is something that those around Kistama want the Labour leader to be talking about a bit more and I think we should expect to hear more from them on this area. They say especially among young people it's a much more salient issue with the electorate than people often think Uh, and James Morris uh, making it quite clear that he thinks a number of Conservative MPs uh, might well agree with that assessment.
6: Thank you, you, Mr Speaker. The Prime Minister is rightly focused on taking long-term decisions to improve the lives of people in this country, so can I make a suggestion? Our mental health legislation is 40 years old, and we made a manifesto commitment in 2017 and 2019 to reform the Mental Health Act, because we have people with learning disabilities and autism sectioned under the Act, being kept an inappropriate accommodation for long periods. We have people sectioned under that Act, not receiving the compassionate care that they deserve, and in a sense are criminalised. And we have people sectioned under that Act who um, are, have their mental health condition re-stigmatised by the act of sectioning. So. Would the Prime Minister, in the absence of a bill in the King's speech, would the Prime Minister agree to meet with me and other like-minded colleagues to discuss how we might be able to take forward reform of the Mental Health Act because it simply isn't fit for the 21st century.
11: Well, can I thank my honourable friend for raising this important issue? Um, He's absolutely right uh, about the work that needs to be done, and I'm grateful to the Joint Committee on the draft Mental Health Bill, and our intention is uh, when parliamentary time allows, to bring forward uh, a bill. I'd be happy to meet with him and colleagues to discuss this, uh, but also just remind everyone that we are undertaking the largest expansion of mental health services in a generation, £2.3 billion of extra funding by March of next year, increasing capital investment in mental health urgent care centres, and under the long-term workforce plan, the largest expansion of the mental health workforce that we've
2: ever seen in this country. Spell that. And this has been a long-running uh, thing across Parties, isn't it, Laura? About the what's happening to the mental health act?
9: Yeah, but also it was a manifesto yeah. commitment, and I think uh, you know some of the more loyal Tory MPs will will bristle a little bit hearing that fact repeated there in the Commons uh, by James Morris. But even so, I think it's a it's an interesting and important question. This was something Theresa May was known to be quite passionate about. Um, although it's not that we've heard anything disobliging from her on this question, but I think uh, an interesting omission in the King's speech and certainly one to come up.
7: And when you look at the story we had on the front of the paper at the weekend, which is about the sort of um, the the widening gulf between haves and have-nots were exacerbated by lockdown. One of the areas that was the starkest was mental health. Yeah. Um, and it's obviously a very serious subject that um, uh, tends not to be a political football, but I think it's one where everybody... And got, some some, some, uh, to do more, really.
2: some critics of the government might suggest they could have spent this week uh, rushing through the changes, the promised changes <laughs> to the Mental Health Act instead, um, which might have had a real-life impact in the real world, but that's not for me to say.
9: I mean, it is also, just quickly, <laughs> on, on, on the on the back-to-work budget and the plans yeah. that Jeremy Hunt and Mel Stride, his Work and Pension Secretary, have on uh, economic inactivity and, and getting that number down, this is a really big part of that. The long-term sickness yeah. numbers do include a number of people with mental, mental health, health, problems, health problems. That's yeah, rising. Yeah. So this is a big part of, of even, you know, the most basic of economic assessments.
2: Well, there we are. Laura but you're right, it was good. Uh, Laura <laughs> red Redbox Editor, Against will be in your inbox at... 3 p.m. with your with your last PMQs unpacked email of 2023. Tim, happy Christmas! Thank you very much, man. Uh, thank you for all of your your um, well, just demolition jokes. It's been an interesting year. Hasn't it? Can we top Zippy next year? That's the question. That the question. And that's all we've got time for on the last PMQ's Unpacked of the Year. Don't forget to make sure you're subscribing to both Red Box and How to Win an Election. It's Peter Madison, Daniel Finkstein, and Polly McKenzie guiding you through what is going on in politics and how it might play